Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this morning is today's first reading, Isaiah chapter 7, and we'll hear again these words. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This is the word of our God. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, a number of years ago, a rather striking Christmas card was published with the title, If Christ Had Not Come. In this card, the story is told of a pastor who went to bed on Christmas Eve and dreamed about a world into which our Savior had never been born. Again, still in his dream, he got up and he looked around his house and he saw that there was no Christmas tree, no presents, no decorations, no nativity scene. He went outside and he realized that there were no churches, no steeples, no Christmas carolers. He came back inside to sit down in his library and think, but his library was practically empty because every book about the Savior was gone. The phone rang. One of his dear sheep in his congregation was on her deathbed. He rushed to her side and he said, I have a word of comfort for you. He opened his Bible, paging to Luke chapter 2, but the pages were all blank. And three days later, he stood by her casket and he had nothing to say. That's not a dream. That's a nightmare. And thankfully, my friends, that's all it is. It's just a nightmare. It's not the reality. The reality is that Christ did indeed come. He was born into this world. God came to be with us. This morning, we are overjoyed and privileged to behold the miracle of Emmanuel. It is a miracle of God's almighty power. And at the same time, a miracle of God's amazing grace. The prophecy of the virgin birth of our Savior was given during the reign of Ahaz, king of Judah. Now at this time, Judah was kind of surrounded by enemies and they were pressing in. Judah was in danger. But God promised his people that he would rescue them. And then through the prophet Isaiah, he told Ahaz to ask for an extra sign, an extra assurance that this was going to happen, that God would rescue his people. But Ahaz was a wicked king, and under the, the guise of piety, he said, No, I won't ask for a sign. I'm, I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. But secretly, he had already made a deal with the Assyrians to protect Judah, and so he simply didn't think he needed the Lord's help. Well, as you can imagine, this did not sit well with our God. He was angry about this, and he determined that he was indeed going to give a sign, even though it would happen much, much later. The Messiah would be born of a virgin. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. There are millions and millions of babies born into our world every single year. And all of them are the product of a man and a woman. Each baby has a human father and a human mother. That's the pattern. Isaiah describes something here that breaks the pattern, just wouldn't fit. Messiah's birth would be different. Messiah's birth would be unique. Messiah's birth would be a miracle. 
a virgin would give birth to a son. Now, when this was announced to the virgin, to Mary, she was understandably confused and perplexed. How will this be, since I am a virgin? Wait a second here. I, I understand the birds and the bees. This isn't how things work. The angel answered her natural questions very simply. He said, no word from God will ever fail. Mary was satisfied with that. That's all she needed to hear. It's almost as if she said, okay, God created the world in six days. He spoke to Moses from a burning bush uh, and he parted the Red Sea. He can certainly cause a child to grow inside of me through the Holy Spirit. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, sadly, not everybody has that simple childlike faith of Mary. Many people in our world today doubt the virgin birth of our Savior or downright deny his virgin birth. Some even laugh at us. They laugh at us that we could ever believe such a ridiculous story. I mean, of course, a virgin birth doesn't square with science. This is not how biology works. It can't happen this way. In fact, my friends, sadly, many who claim the name Christian deny the virgin birth of our Savior. Listen to this. The notion of the Son of God becoming a human being in the womb of a virgin is bound up with a mythological picture of the world that clashes with our modern scientific worldview. The primary interest of theology is to interpret the virgin birth as a symbol and not as a freakish intervention in the course of nature. Calling the way our God brought the Savior into the world for us a freakish intervention into the course of nature is nothing short of blasphemy. And sadly, my friends, that quote I just read to you comes from a so-called Lutheran book of theology. But let's turn this around and let's look at ourselves for a moment. Do we ever have doubts? Do we ever have doubts about what God has told us? Do we ever doubt his miracles? I mean, my friends, have you ever wondered, even for just a moment, did God really create the world in six normal 24-hour days? I mean, just what scientists have discovered, those two things don't quite seem to fit together. And did the Nile River really turn into blood? And did Jesus really change water into wine? And did Lazarus really come back from the dead? I think if we said that doubts never came to our minds, we would be kidding ourselves because we have sinful natures, right? And sometimes that sinful nature, our sinful human reason gets the best of us. My friends, we are sinners. And so every day we need to pray, Lord, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And our God in his grace and mercy does just that. He gives us his powerful word to strengthen our faith in his promises. Well, thank God that we don't have to base our faith on the words of pastors or theologians. Our faith stands firmly on the rock of God's word. The virgin will conceive. God said it, that settles it. His word never fails. The virgin birth is not just some made-up story. It's not just a myth or a symbol or a parable or something like that. It's real history. It really happened. It's a miracle, of course, but it's a miracle that you can teach to your kids without winking. It's a miracle that you can take to your own heart for your comfort and your peace. There was a teacher who was trying to explain away every miracle of the Bible. 
And she just kept coming to these things over and over again. And one day she said, take for example the parting of the Red Sea. Now we know from all of our studies that that body of water was only six inches deep at that time. The little boy in the back of the classroom yelled out, praise God for his miracle. She was kind of annoyed by that. And she said, what do you mean? What miracle? It was just six inches deep. He said, well, God was able to drown the entire Egyptian army in just six inches of water. Isn't that a miracle? There have always been people who have tried to explain away God's miracles. But my friends, Scripture stands. The virgin birth of Christ stands. And thank God that it does. Because it is absolutely essential for our salvation. I want you to try to put yourself into the sandals of Mary and Joseph for a moment. Uh, You're in love with each other. You're pledged to one another, which means, really, you're married. But in that culture, you're in that time where you haven't yet come together to live together as husband and wife yet. Suddenly, there's a baby on the way. And if you're Mary, you're confused about all this. And if you're Joseph, you're confused and you're a little bit upset and you're beginning to think about divorce. And then one of God's holy messengers comes and says, relax, this is all from God, and the baby to be born will be none other than the promised Savior of the world. These were strange days for this young Jewish couple, very strange days indeed. But all of these strange events were taking place the way that they did for a very good reason, because God said they would. Because God gave his promise. They happened to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, meaning the prophet Isaiah. Now, why is Isaiah's prophecy spoken 700 years before Jesus' birth so very important? Why is it so vital that the Savior be born of a virgin? Why is that name Emmanuel so very comforting to us? Well, it all has to do with the kind of Savior this world needed. This world needed a Savior who could take the place of people. This world needed a Savior who could sacrifice himself and have that sacrifice count for every last one of those people. This world needed someone completely unique, someone who was absolutely pure and holy, someone who was fully God and fully man in one person at the same time. And that's exactly the Savior that God sent us, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, why God and man in the same person? Well, let's use the technique suggested by that Christmas card I mentioned in the introduction. What if Jesus is not truly human? Well, then he couldn't have taken our place under God's law. He could not have been tempted in every way, just as we are. And he could not have suffered and died on the cross. Okay, what if Jesus is not truly God? Then he could not have kept God's law perfectly for us at every point. He could not have resisted all of those temptations and his death would not have counted for all people. You see how important this is? My friends, we don't have to worry about what-ifs. In the most remarkable act of power and grace that this world has ever witnessed, our God sent us exactly the Savior that we need. Behold, the miracle of Emmanuel. The infinite God himself took on our human flesh, became became one of us. But unlike us, he was born without sin. You see, he wasn't the child of two sinful parents. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Spirit. 
And that unique conception and birth brought into the world the perfect Savior. Do you see how we never would have dreamed up this plan in a million years? The wisdom of this miracle boggles the mind, and the grace of this miracle staggers the imagination. I'm reading a book right now entitled The World in a Grain. It's a book about sand. That's right, I'm reading a book about sand. It's not as boring as it sounds. It's actually really, really quite interesting. Sand is interesting. You maybe don't realize this, but sand is used in just about everything that we touch. From car windows to cosmetics to the roads that we drive on, it is absolutely everywhere. And there's a special kind of sand that is used to make uh, the computer trips, the little microprocessors that power our laptops and our cell phones. It's called silica. Uh, this silica already starts out in a really pretty pure state, but then it's very carefully refined and purified because in order to be used in electronics, it has to be 99.999% pure. Anything less is going to be rejected. Anything less pure than that. The tolerances of this stuff, very, very narrow. My friends, the tolerances for who our Savior would be were even more exact than that. He had to be absolutely pure and sinless. He had to be both God and man in one person at the same time. But what we needed, our God sent us 100%, our pure and perfect Savior. Dear friends, do you need proof that God loves you and forgives you? Then look into the manger. Behold, Emmanuel. Do you need strength to resist temptation, to resist your own sinful flesh? Behold, Emmanuel. Do you need encouragement during difficult days? Behold that baby in the manger. Behold, Emmanuel. Do you need a reason to do the things that you do, to put a generous offering into the offering plate, to help out your neighbor when he is in need, to obey God's commands given in his word, to live the kind of life that he wants you to live? Behold, Emmanuel. Do you need a reason to smile and laugh and sing and rejoice? Behold, Emmanuel, the God who is with us, the God who saves us. A number of years ago, there was a seminary professor by the name of Gerald I. Frost. And this professor had a, a custom. He would meet with some of his theology students once a week on Wednesday afternoon just for conversation. They would get together at the professor's house, and Mrs. Frost would make coffee and cookies, and they would sit together, and they would talk about the seminary. They would talk about theology, their studies. They would just talk about life in general. The good professor usually didn't say a whole heck of a lot. He would just kind of chime in now and again with a little word of wisdom or maybe a little bit of advice or something. But one day he said to his students, guys, um, I have to go away for a little while. I need to have some back surgery so we won't be able to meet uh, for several weeks. Several weeks went by and those students received a note from the office that said, come to uh, Professor Frost's house today. They showed up and there he was. Clearly he had been through something. He looked a little thinner, a little more frail as he was recovering. He sat there on the couch under a blanket as he read to them a Christmas sermon by Martin Luther. But then he stopped at one point and he said, Boys, I have to confess to you, the night before I went in for surgery, I was really, really scared. In fact, I almost didn't go through with it. 
But then I remembered the meaning of my middle name, and that gave me comfort and peace. Gerald I. Frost. Gerald Emmanuel Frost. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, may the peace and comfort of Emmanuel fill your heart this Christmas and always. God grant it for Jesus' sake. Amen.